He pioneered Jets blogging and podcasting. He brought smiles to the faces of Jets fans all over the world. He was there through the good and bad. And then, one day... He vanished. People far and wide wondered, where has he gone? When will he return? Thankfully, the answer is... Now! The OG of Jets podcasting and vlogging is back! Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. This is There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett. I'm back. The real me. Let's not, not make a whole thing of it. And his co-hosts, Chef Travis Milton. Today we're going to be making the students my tasty baked ziti with basil and fresh mozzarella. And Josh Conrad. Oh, my brother, testify. On Turn on the Jets Digital. Welcome back to There's Always Next Year. I'm your host, Brian Bassett. And with me is Josh Conrad, who you can find on Twitter at Josh underscore Conrad. Our other compatriot in arms, Travis Milton, is stuck in some sort of training activity. We're unclear on whether he's run afoul of HR laws, Josh, or what. It might be a software training. I don't know. Um, is, is it evading the man if you are the man? Like, that's his scenario, right? He's the guy. <laughs> yeah, so he's the guy. if he's yeah. stuck doing anything, it's his own making at this point. That, that's true. I, I, what are you doing right now? I heard that you were making yeah. something. Yeah, as we were just discussing, I am currently prepping a nice gigantic rack of ribs to get on the smoker later this evening. So I'm, I'm in the midst. I just did my, my cleanup, get the silver skin off, and I am currently seasoning them standing in my kitchen. It was revelatory for me. Butter knife. Butter yes. knife. Oh my God. Like I think I spent years wasting time trying to get that silver skin off the back of ribs. And then someone mentioned a butter knife one time and it was like, oh my the, God. The, the way I, I, yes, definitely the butter knife, even easier in my opinion, a dry paper towel, grab the corner of it with the paper towel and just like firmly rip and you're going to get 90% of it off in one pull. It's really great. That's amazing. That's amazing. Congratulations. If only the chef of the show could be here to discuss with us, but he's apparently <laughs> right late on his TPS reports or something. That's right. That's right. Congratulations. We have sufficiently, number one, we're the least qualified people to talk about food on this podcast. We both did <laughs> that. True. And then secondarily, congratulations. We have sufficiently buried the lead, which is the fact that last Thursday, the Jets hired Robert Sala as their new head coach, Robert Sala, oh, yeah. most recently of the defensive coordinator of the uh, San Francisco 49ers, came from the do- uh, the back of the pack as a dark horse candidate and quickly emerged as the guy the Jets had to have. They weren't willing to wait out the process to get to see if someone like Bionami would make themselves available or they could get them in for an interview or Brian Dable or whatever. It, it had to be Sala. So I think my first question to you, Josh, is quick reaction. What do you think of the hire and kind of the time? Yeah, I'm thrilled. I I am. And we've talked at length over the last few years about this, especially during the Adam Gase process. But I am a big process guy in terms of I can live with the decision if the process to get there makes sense. I think we all felt like with Gase, it just didn't seem like a decision that made sense. You, You have a lame duck GM at that point who is making decisions potentially alongside ownership about the future of the franchise. And then you fire the GM after you, you know, hire the coach. And it just felt, man, this is just disconnected in so many ways. This one felt right. 
I mean, I know we're probably going to reference his article here a little bit, but Ralph Vacchiano's article in SNY, he quotes an anonymous AFC exec saying, this is how it's supposed to work. If it's true that Joe and Robert didn't know each other, that's great. That's the way this is supposed to work. Hire the best guy. Don't just hire your best friends. And so in every way, like the process to get to Sala makes a ton of sense. And in terms of like just the hire itself, my brother, one of my brothers, I should say, he's actually a, he's, he's actually a 49ers fan. And I got to discuss with him like at length a little bit of just like, hey, tell me what we're getting here. And he really said, if you look at the last couple of years of defenses in San Francisco, you didn't have the names that they had in the past. Obviously, you have a Nikosa, and you got some guys that can obviously play. But like he, he was really excited because he said, man, that guy seems like a guy that will take a little bit of talent and maximize everything out of it. Seems like a guy that players really want to play really hard for. And so, if nothing else, and I'm thrilled to have a guy that seems to be clued in with players and is not aloof and standoffish and firing barbs from the moment he gets here, like we've had for the last three seasons. So I'm thrilled. I think Robert Sala is, if nothing else, maybe the record bears it out. And we'll talk about this in three years. But in terms of the process and where we landed, I'm over the moon. I feel really good about it. Yeah, I think I'm in the same place. If you just were to leave aside the kind of the character, kind of the demeanor, what his players say about him, all the important things of who he is and embodies. If you leave all of that stuff aside and you just look at the way in which they did it, I I like the way in which they did it, which was for all the reasons you just laid out, I don't need to go back through all of them. But the big thing was they let Joe Douglas lead the process. He was convinced that this is the person that he wanted. And right, he, this wasn't a cronyism hire. This wasn't Wink Martindale because they worked together eight years ago or something like that. It was, and and he's a known commodity. It was, I don't know this guy, but all the indications that I get about who this person is seems to be the right fit for what our organization needs. So I loved all that and that he was the lead on that process and went with someone that just wasn't purely out of who's in my network that I can get and I can, and can be my, someone I can control. So I think that's a big thing, but I certainly think when you look at Sala, when you look at who he is, even from his early days, so he plays high school football, he played college, collegiate football at Northern Michigan, played as a tight end. One of the things that people don't talk a lot about is like tight end is a really hard position. Certainly, you look at the transition that it takes for collegiate players to go to the pro, it's one of the hardest transitions. Probably the, some of the biggest transitions are quarterback, obviously, interior defensive lineman actually is actually one of the things that uh, Sala believes is one of the hardest transitions. Tight end is another big one. And then Mm -hmm. cornerback, right? So those are, they're they're hard for all of them, but there's a lot more you have to know and understand about the game. So the fact that he played tight end leads me to believe that he's a pretty intelligent person because as a tight end, you have to know the blocking schemes and the routes, and you have to know what you're supposed to be doing on either side. So at a young age, he's obviously demonstrated some intellectual smarts and sharpness. And then you know, he had his, his early career and he pivoted into coaching and you know, dove into that. And I'm sure you can go read the story of his life and his family is amazing. And right, so he becomes the first Muslim Lebanese coach in NFL history and with the Jets, which is exciting. But more than that also is just when you hear the players talk about it, when you hear what the players say about who this guy is and why they respect him, and then you go and you listen to him talk, 
what you understand are all the things that you were laying out there, Josh, is that this is a person who understands that he's not going to exalt his scheme over what he has in the room. Like what mm-hmm. he wants to do is have a scheme and have a mul- multiplicity on defense. And he's, and he wants to create a system that's going to work for the players that he has. And obviously he's going to want certain types of players. Every coach wants that but he's also not going to punish people for not fitting into his scheme, which is basically what we saw with Adam Gates. And he has demonstrated uh, in all of his head coaching tenure, he will punish a player if they do not strictly fit into his scheme. You you listen to Salah talk. He talks a lot about the concepts of speed and he doesn't mean like you're fast. Everybody in the NFL is some levels fast. What he means is, do you know instantly where you need to be and what your assignment is and where you need to go to make this a successful play? And can you play that in the scheme of others? And so I love the fact that he's trying to use what he has, but also use what he has to create better things. And so that's the kind of coach that we've been dying for. I don't know. I would say since Eric Mangini, I think Rex Ryan had some of that, like that kind of keep it simple, stupid stuff, but I want to be clear while he's a defensive coach, while he's you know got a big personality on the side of the field, you look at him in the press conference room. He is not Rex Ryan. Yeah. Clearly personality wise, they are entirely different. Rex, very bombastic, very, you can almost even say like playful with the media and like getting a tattoo of his quarterback on his leg. Like there, there are certainly differences between these two human beings Robert Sala seems all business. And if if we just have a football guy that is going to make football decisions with his football team, I'm all in. I I feel like we're going to get a guy here that is a player's coach, is looking to build where the NFL is going, not where it's been. And I feel like even for everything Adam Gase said for three years, there was nothing forward thinking about how to put together a staff or how to even create a playbook. Like you watch other teams keying in, even on Andy Reid at the end of that Browns game, fourth and inches, a minute to go, opponent doesn't have any timeouts, and they're throwing the ball with their backup quarterback. And it feels, (laughs) man, that would be incredible to see like even innovation from a staff, like with a guy like Eric Bieniemy that's on your team calling plays like that. And so it does seem like that's the kind of team that Robert Sala wants to create is, hey, let's just think about where the league is and let's play to our strengths with what we have instead of trying to force everything into or through our system a la Adam Gase or even a little bit with Rex that let's just play on bravado. Like it it does feel like Robert Sala is going to come in and make some wise decisions. And even going back to just the process part, it seemed like he was down the list, at least to start on most people's head coaching options and then rockets toward the front. And you get a feeling that, man, with some of the interviews he did, um, and obviously the Jets wanted to move quickly and lock him in, that he's very impressive. Like in terms of he's coming in, he's got a plan, sounds like a grown-up, and maybe it's a little bit from where the Jets are coming from. But to have that guy in interviews and then just to pull the trigger within a couple of days sounds like this guy just has a plan and he doesn't have to be sold. He's not going to toy around. Like he, he wants to coach a football team. And I am thrilled with that. As simple as it sounds is going to be um, the foundation for our, for our football coach going forward. He just wants to coach a football team. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. And I think I'm thinking about just in my current job, like I know that I came into this position And I wasn't getting paid to do the job like before I took it. 
But before I took it, as I was winding down the last thing I was working on and had some intermediary time, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, the decisions and kind of career paths and things that I'd done to that point and why this was the thing that I felt like my career was culminating towards. And so when I came in, I had a real strong sense of, I want to do this. I want to ask my bosses these questions. I want to get their answers on this. I want to know what their vision is for these things, because then I want to apply what I'm trying to do to what they're doing. And so sometimes you see coaches where that's very clear and that's that they have clearly brought that thing with them. And I think most coaches do I think some coaches are really good at putting that together or thinking about how my thing intersects with with their thing. And, and I get that feeling. It's early and it's all hunches I get on, on my part, but I definitely see that. And so I think the next question I want to ask is there were some people that made themselves available or were in the running too. Arthur Smith and Doug Peterson came out, came out of the blocks late, but was certainly available and is someone that 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 Joe Douglas had spent time with, was there anybody that was surprising to you or you wanted to see more of or were surprised that the team didn't hire? Yeah, it felt like it felt like after the, that first round of interviews and then you do your second rounds that I think you always start with the guys you feel the strongest about. And so the moment they had Art Smith back in the building, it felt like okay, like they're they're this is definitely like a guy that they're keyed in on this seems like the guy and however they landed on Salah after that I'm very interested to know I think Ralph's article hit a lot of some of those pieces as, as he was reporting but Art Smith felt like he was going to either be in Jacksonville or he was going to be in New York and he's in either which is interesting to me <laughs> as Jacksonville obviously went another route like that was curious to me that the guy that the Jets had in initially to do his second interview with is not just not with our team but is currently not with any team and the Chargers went and hired a different guy too and so what's happening with Art Smith is that Baltimore game lingering in people's minds that man you know in the playoffs that offense stalled out maybe there's a little bit less shine on him after that game which again brings me back to some of the process of just man if it comes down to one game that they're playing against a pretty good defense and they don't get the ball moving offensively it's not going to hire the guy for that you know but maybe there is just to be clear what you said so Smith wound up at in Atlanta right so he's the new head coach in Atlanta Oh, I missed that. Okay. Steve, I'm just so keyed in on the Jets, man. I don't even know what's happening with other teams at this point. No, 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 no worries. No, good yeah. for him. Yeah. So Smith, yeah, Smith wound up with the, as the Atlanta Falcons heads coach. And I think it's interesting, but I also think here's what I'll say about Smith. Like he's smart. You're right. I do think some of the shine came off the rose in, in having to take the Atlanta job, which is a, it's not the job it once was. Let's just say that. But I also think, Smith is a guy who he probably grew up most of his life in Tennessee. He's a Southern guy. His dad is Fred Smith, owner of FedEx. So like, it's true. So like he doesn't, he, he can take the jobs that he wants. And I think for someone like him going to a place like New York, like I just, you'd really have to want that job versus a head coaching job and a Southeastern guy who's look, looking for a job and who winds up in the Southeast in a good situation. And I think one that he'll have a long, he'll have a long leash on. I, I can see why he would gravitate towards that. But yeah, it also might be that there's a question of the Jets organization and looking at this person and saying, is he as hungry or as 
I don't know, whatever. Is there some edge that Sala has that maybe Art Smith doesn't have? And I think mm. the biggest thing I would say is I think Art Smith is, was set up pretty well the last couple of years. Now he reclaimed Ryan Tannehill. So he did a wonderful job with him, but that's an amazing offensive line. You have the best wide receivers and running backs in the league. So it's not like he was doing it with nothing. Comparatively, Salah certainly has some very talented players, but he certainly had some injuries that he had to overcome and still post one of the best defenses in the league. So I can understand why Feeling wrote in one of my articles a couple weeks ago, like you have to solve for it's a multivariable equation and you're not going to get it. Then you're not going to get it to like a sim- simple answer of 42 or whatever. But what you are going to try and do is solve for certain parts of that. And so I think when you look at Sala and you look at Art Smith, I think you can solve for more around Sala than you can for Smith independently of his time with, with Tennessee. So yeah, I liked him. I thought he was an interesting coach. And this guy obviously does not have to be an NFL coach. He could just sit and collect checks from his dad, but he's a driven guy. So I certainly wish him well in Atlanta. The other player that I was interested or player, the other coach that I was interested in is Doug Peterson, not because I wanted him to come to, New York, but because of the the close relationship there and the ties there uh, and just feeling, man, that would be an, an inevitable Mike McCarthy type situation. But I'm, I'm curious, what do you think, was it just a question of timing for Douglas? Or do you think that there were other factors in play with Peterson not coming to New York or the team not hitting the reset button and then including Doug Peterson in the process? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. I feel like the way that Peterson, you know, this the way that this last season went and feeling like he just seemed frustrated. And then however national reporters were saying things like he was tired of being told what to do. Like those are quotes that I think if you're a GM or an owner doing a coaching search, you're like, I don't even, I mean, you could be the best coach in the world, but we have to be like, in communication and making decisions and not just not checking in with you for three months at a time. So I think it's some of that. And I also think it's timing. It was encouraging to me that Peterson doesn't become available and the Jets front office just throws out their entire coaching search playbook and chases the one guy. Like if that would have felt for classic Jets in a lot of ways, just like there is no plan. We're just like, we'll see who's available. Blown by the wind. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, it, it was really encouraging to me that the Jets, you know, I'm sure Joe Douglas, even from a personal level, is just maybe reaching out to Doug and going, hey, man, like, sorry, you got fired and maybe getting a sense from him. And if Doug's just kind of enraged or he's just, man, I don't know what I'm going to do next. If it's not just a buttoned up, hey, it didn't work out here, but I want to stay in coaching. Maybe that response, even from a friendship level, just like cues you in on, hey, is this someone we should think about interviewing for our opening? And it sounds like, the Jets almost didn't even entertain it. Like it was just like a side, a side show to what the main event was. So I was, I don't have any ill will toward Doug Peterson, but I am glad that the Jets didn't just abandon ship and hire him because he's friends with Joe Douglas. That would have probably been an unwise decision. And if nothing else, the process would have, it would have shown a breakdown in the process, which again, we keep saying, show me wise decisions and I can live with the outcomes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. When you think about life and decisions and nothing, not everything is going to go your way. But if you can at least hold to, I, I made a good, I took a good process to getting to a result that wound up failing, I can live with that more than I shortcutted the process or I whatever, just didn't follow any process or I let myself be pushed around in this situation, right? Like that in life and as a fan, like that's all I'm asking for here. It's just (laughs) making a good process and we can live with the rest. Totally. Uh, But yeah, so I think in terms of, you talked about abandoning ship, other things, other people abandoning ship seem to be the Niners organization, Robert Sala is taking a number of assistants with him to New York. And so I don't think this is so much of a, this is just people get opportunities for promotions. But so Mike LaFleur is set to be the new offensive coordinator. It's, I don't know if it's officially official, but that's, that seems to be where things are going. And LaFleur from the Niners is going to be bringing bringing a number of folks with him, John Benton, who will be some sort of OL coach or run game coordinator. And then also Greg Knapp as the quarterback's coach and Rob Calabrese as a pass game specialist. And this is according to Michael Silver of NFL. Greg Knapp's an interesting name. So I think people look at LaFleur and they see this young hotshot coordinator type. Greg Knapp has been around the league for a long time. Like I'm going to yeah. way back machine here. Greg Knapp, was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, I believe, during the Michael Vick era. He was the also the offensive coordinator in San Francisco in 2001. But yeah, I think on the 2004 team, I feel like that was Vick team. I can't remember. But for it would have been, I think. I think Vick was still there. I think yeah. it was like 05 or 06 when he had that his, is- you know, imprisonment, and then subsequently. His, yeah. his rebirth in Philadelphia. Yeah. So like this is a part, so he's in his late fifties. So the point is, I think there's, there is this thing among fans, which I just don't get, which is basically worrying about problems that we don't yet have. And so the problem that I, I hear repeated a lot on Twitter is, oh man, great. So we bring in Mike LaFleur and he's the offensive coordinator for the Jets. And he does like such an amazing job that he becomes a head coach in two years. And so, okay, why? Remind me why this is a problem again? Like why, why is this a problem? Uh, because he did really good with the team for two years and then he has to go somewhere else. It's like, then he did good with the Jets for two years and the Jets have choices 
in terms of do they promote from within? Do they bring in somebody from the outside? Do they bring in another young hotshot that the team has ties to or connections with or whatever? I, I just, I can't be bothered with it. And then also when you see someone, I'm not saying Greg Knapp is any great offensive mind. He definitely has his roots in the traditional West Coast scheme, but he's been around the block many times in the NFL. So he could be someone that if the Jets do get into this really horrible situation where they have to lose their offensive coordinator to as a head coach to another team, at least they'd have a seasoned seasoned leader who could help pick up the that side of the ball. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about some of the folks they're bringing in? There's nothing really specific. Benton, I think, is he's another kind of long-time offensive line coach. But um. Yeah, and I'm sure our compadre will have a lot to say about Benton and the plan for offensive yes. line play. But I will say, in terms of the, the peak, peak Jet fan thing to do is to complain about what do we do if we're good? It's just what if we're good, and then what do we do? It's man, these are the problems <laughs> of right. like we we would trade for, and so let's right. let's not forget the plan is to win football games and be in that position. But again, like good leaders bring in good leaders usually, and if we get to that point, we got to replace some of these guys. Great, like I'll gladly take that issue that if we had a coordinator. When's the last coordinator for the Jets become a head coach somewhere else? Like it's, right. it's been a little bit of time, and I don't think Dewall Legains is going to be an NFL no. head coach in the next two seasons. These are problems that we'll welcome. So I, I'm again, I'm excited. It feels if Salah has deep relationships with guys that he coached with and felt strongly enough to promote them into roles, the next place that he's going, then I feel we'll trust that guy to to bring those guys along and build the team. And it sounds like a guy that guys want to work for. And so I'm all in. Before we go, I, I want to know if you're all in on this guy. So Deshaun Watson. And Ooh. here's my question. So this is the way I'm trying to frame it up for you is there's a great framework that I see often in. So if you've ever played dynasty football, that like the very best player in the league. So like in, in a dynasty fantasy football league should never be worth more than, or could be, but should never be, you should not be willing to pay more than three and a half random first round draft picks for that person. So think of the things that really matter in dynasty football are youth and proven productivity, right? So if you have youth and proven productivity, then bam, you're super valuable. This year, probably doesn't matter, but just think of like the young, the youngest, like best players. Generally, it's going to be one of the young best wide receivers or probably running backs that would take that crown. So it might be someone like Jonathan Taylor or, or someone like that, or go back to 2014, like after Odell Beckham has that amazing rookie season, like he's probably the most valuable player. So Deshaun, so I want to apply that to the Jets and how they, what Deshaun Watson is worth. I know people say he's, you can't even get this guy, but my thought process to you is, you know, random means random, right? So it could be high, could be low, could be in the middle. The Jets obviously are holding the second pick and then they're holding the 23rd pick from the Seattle Seahawks. They're also holding two firsts from next year. Now those you get a little discount on because they're not this year, but knowing the fact that they have a pick that's essentially worth double of two mid round picks, which is more than a random pick, like the second pick should hold a lot of value and you probably could give something else, but I don't think the jets need to clear out 
the rest of their draft cupboard for someone to, to get someone like Deshaun Watson. But I guess my question for you is, would you be willing to pay more than that three and a half first round random draft pick value? Or how do you feel? What, what feels like too much for Deshaun Watson to give up? Or what yeah. feels like it, it won't? Well, yeah. What feels like too much? I think that's the right question. Yeah, I think three three first rounders sounds like that's going to be the price that that Houston's going to get, and that feels like the edge to me. I don't know that yes. I'd go four, and so I don't know if I would go number two this year, one of the picks next year, and one of the picks in twenty three. That feels like too much, but someone's going to pay that. Miami could be the team that if Deshaun is really pushing to get his way to go there. That's a team that maybe with Tua and two picks, they can make that trade. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the Jets' best option, at least from what we're learning from Joe Douglas, is not to just like empty the cash to, to go broke for one position. Now, when Deshaun Watson's out there as a top five, young kind of dynasty level quarterback franchise guy, I'd be fine if the Jets said, hey, we'll give you number two this year. And we'll give you the option of either the later of the latter of our two first rounders next year or number 23 this year and maybe throw Donald in and just go, that's the the limit to what we're going to be able to do here. Because I don't know, I'd love to see the list. The NFL is a little trickier with this, but when this happens in the NBA, you think about going back in eight years ago or seven years ago, whatever it was when the Celtics um, traded Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce to the Nets and got six first rounders back. Like mm-hmm. every one of those first rounders for the Celtics was like infinitely more valuable than those two players, even at the point at which they were traded. And then those guys subsequently seemingly retired. And so it just looks like a brutal deal for Brooklyn. That that seems to feel what's going to happen here is that if you give up more than three first rounders, you're really saying, hey, we're willing to give you three three starting players hopefully that's your hope is when you're drafting a first rounder is this person's going to be a startable regular player for the next five to seven years for us and i don't know that i'm willing to go more beyond three that feels like the limit if they wanted darnold back as a piece that they could potentially see if they have something i'd be open to that but i wouldn't be throwing four first rounders at them for just a deshaun guy when we're sitting at number two and maybe Justin Fields is that level of a guy anyway. Or right. if they want to really see, can, yeah, could we actually, don't get me, listen, this podcast cannot afford our <laughs> reputation online if we go after Zach Wilson again. The MVP of the of the Las Vegas, or Las Vegas Bowl? Wasn't even Las Vegas Bowl, was it? it, it was, was, I think uh, it was this Myrtle Beach Bowl. Was it the Myrtle, the Myrtle Beach Bowl? I think it was the K- Kissimmee, Florida retiree country club MVP. Anyway. I'd be leery of anything more than what I just listed, Sam, and maybe three first rounders, but that's about the limit I'd be willing to go to. I think that's exactly right. I don't think I would go above that. And I also think that there's also mitigating factors here, which is this guy's making $40 million a year. Oh, by the way, the salary cap will probably go down in the next couple of years. So teams aren't going to have the amount of money just based on the revenue hits that teams have taken in the last year, 18 months. So I I understand that they're going to want the moon for this guy. But if Houston chooses to go with some low-level bureaucrat with Svengali powers inside the, who again, who also got the GM hired, let's face it, got Nick Casario hired. If they're willing to go with that guy and ride with him over Deshaun Watson, that's a 
situation that they've made for themselves. And I think unless they hire Eric Bionami, I don't know how they get their way out of this situation. And then also it's just a bad situation. And the long, I honestly feel like you let it play out. The Jets are in the driver's seat on this one. If they want Deshaun Watson, they can go get him because they have the most to offer. Even over a team like Miami. Okay, maybe if they love to, then fine. Two had a spot a year. So the Jets have the most to offer. And there's no way they're going to do a deal without double checking with the Jets. So with that in mind, like just let it play out. And the longer it goes, the more likely it is to play into the Jets' favor, right? Because the closer we get to the draft, the more frenzied people will get over the draft picks, over the players, over Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, or Mm -hmm. maybe some crazy situation happens where Trevor Lawrence says, I think Urban Meyer has killed quarterbacks his entire career and I refuse to play for him. And then who's in the driver's seat? It's certainly not Jacksonville in that case. So, so there's all these things that could happen. And I really believe the longer, if the Jets can not do what Seattle did in getting Jamal Adams, do the opposite of what Seattle did, like it's going to work out to the, for the best for them. If, even if that means they, they miss on Deshaun Watson or they get him, they actually get him at a better value because they were a stalwart in holding back and not going crazy and bidding against themselves as it were. Yeah. Two things. One, Zach Wilson was the MVP of the Boca Raton Bowl. Oh, uh, my bad. So I want right. to. Del Boca missed phase two, right? <laughs> phase two. I just wanted to clear that up for the for the aggregators out there. Perfect. And then number two. Stans. Sorry, Stan. Yeah. We're sorry, Stan. <laughs> I don't think our, our listenership in the state of Utah is going to be. They're not listening anyway. Let's they're not it. listening anyway. Um, no, uh, no, no, but, no. But yeah, it's certainly not growing <laughs> there. And then. No. Yeah, but I, I, we should talk about the fact. We'll talk about this in weeks ahead. Like the Lafleur offense might want someone, and it might fit better for someone like Wilson. So we'll just have to see. But uh, but yeah, we're sorry, stands. We're sorry, stands. We're not on. We're not on the bandwagon yet. We'll, maybe we'll get there someday. All right. Any last thoughts, or do we need to let you get get to smoking that uh, that <laughs> thing of ribs? I I I stick to a pretty firm thirty minutes of let the dry rub sit on each side. So we're into bone side is down and seasoned meat side is up and seasoned. And so it's at least a half an hour rest before you throw that on the smoker. Cause it's just going to flake off if you don't let it penetrate the meat a little bit. So um, not, I, so I don't, I didn't need to go, but I would say this just as one, one kind of last thing, obviously as Robert Sala comes in, there's just excitement. I think from, from a, a more cosmo, cosmopolitan area, like, New York for a guy like that and just what it means for the league and obviously San Francisco I think they're awarded a couple of third round compensatory Mm -hmm. picks just for even making him available for interviews which just from a diversity perspective it was encouraging for me to see the Jets make a diverse hire but also for just the storyline of a guy like that who's just worked really hard young in his in his Mm -hmm. early 40s has a background in banking and all the different things about him I'm just thrilled I'm thrilled to see the Jets at the forefront here of not just hiring someone who's in a minority ethnic background, but someone with just a diverse perspective of leadership and how this is going to work. And so I'm encouraged that if nothing else, Jet fans, the next three years are going to look completely different from the last three years. Hopefully that also shows up in record as well. So yeah, just thrilled. Welcome to New York, Robert. We are glad to have you. Absolutely. Thanks. And good for you on sticking to your process with your ribs and good to the Jets for sticking in their process of the ribs. 
folks, we will talk to you in the future. We'll make sure Travis is available for that and we'll get a Golden Girls update and a whiskey oh, yeah. update when we do get him. <laughs> but we hope Travis's software training or HR impoundment goes well for him and we'll talk to him next time. Thanks, everyone. Miss you, Travis. Talk to you all soon.